Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Religion on the New Books Network. My name is Diana Dehanova, and I will be your host today. I'm speaking today with Thomas Arensen, Ashley Purpura, and Aristotle Papanikolaou, who are the editors of Orthodox Tradition and Human Sexuality, which was published in 2022 by Fordham Press. Uh, Dr. Thomas Arensen is a researcher in the Department of Linguistics and Philology at the University of Uppsala. Dr. Ashley Purpura is a director of the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies Program and Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Purdue University. And Dr. Aristotle Papanikolaou is Professor of Theology and Archbishop Demetrius Chair in Orthodox Theology and Culture and Co-Director of the Orthodox Christian Studies Center at Fordham University. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to the program and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to, so to start our conversation, um, could you please talk a little bit about kind of your respective research backgrounds and how this book came together, how you came to work together? Uh, maybe I should go first. Uh, this is Aristotle. Um, we, uh, my, my own research background is uh, Orthodox Christianity generally. I know a lot about Christianity, um, but uh, and specifically, uh, you know, what, what we call in the field Orthodox Systematic Theology. And uh, the way this came together is um, the Orthodox Church is a, you know, the Orthodox world is a small world, and it's usually scholars um, get to know each other. Um, so we, we found our way of getting to know each other. I mean, Ashley was, came to Fordham University to study as a PhD, and um, Thomas and uh, I connected uh, together with Ashley through something called the Oslo Coalition on Freedom of Religion and or Belief. I think it's, uh, and or they used to be called that, it's Freedom of, Re- the Oslo Fre- uh, Coalition on the Freedom of Religion or Belief. I think now that's the official title which is housed in the um, law school of the University of, uh, in, of, University of Norway, uh, University of Oslo, that is. And 
they uh, facilitate conversations uh, in religious traditions on uh, you know very difficult topics, and uh, they do projects with Islam and they do projects with Orthodoxy, and it was through them uh, that um, we thought that we should do a a, a three year seminar on. Uh, this topic, which is somewhat controversial in Orthodox Christianity on, on sexuality. And through that uh, three-year set of seminars, um, most of the papers in this book uh, came from that, but there are some papers that came from another conversation uh, that occurred with a partnership between our center at Fordham University, the Orthodox Christian Studies Center, and the University of Exeter, uh, which we received a... Um, Bridging Voices uh, British Council grant, and in 2019 brought together, August of 2019 brought together at Oxford um, a group of Orthodox Christian um, scholars, priests, uh, lay people um, to also discuss issues related to human sexuality, and uh, which was a was really great experience. And so through those two conversations, which uh, when they were organized, weren't very well publicized. Um, these papers emerged, and uh, this book emerged, which I think is uh, honestly the best book on the topic in terms of Orthodox Christianity, and and quite a unique um, product, I would say, in the history of Orthodox Christianity. Um, does anybody else uh, want to add anything to that one? I think that that's a pretty um, good summary of how the book came to be um, and how we came to work together. I'll just say that there are um, there's at least one essay, one chapter in the volume that was not part of either of those conversations. But again, since the uh, Orthodox world uh, in terms of Orthodox studies is relatively small, especially on theology, on gender and sexuality, uh, we knew this person and was able to we were able to ask uh, for them to contribute a chapter, so it's not it's not quite a um, like a proceedings volume. It's not we say this in the, the introduction. It's not um, kind of directly out of one conference, but out of a series of different conversations and projects that people were working on on meeting a kind of critical need in um, the church and just the field of understanding Orthodox thinking on sexuality more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so to expand I, on that, I think. It- oh, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. I would also like to add that it it feels a little bit like we're at a at a crucial point uh, in in time now when questions about sexuality are being are starting to become more uh, discussed in the Orthodox world, and so some of those conversations that Ashley mentioned are uh, are sort of happening in various places at the same time. And and so this book, in a way, tries to pull out some of the energy from all those conversations that have been going on. And, and since this topic is so, um, in a way, uh, new, uh, at least as, as, a, as a topic for open conversation, the book also um, is, in a way, um, it, it it reflects this sort of uh, 
uh, newness, and it, it's it's in a way a book that tries to to find its way, or I mean, to sort of um, to uh, think and and open-mindedly uh, in in a about a topic that's that's very little discussed before. So so, but it it, it sort of emerges from all those. Um, emerging uh, conversations uh, that have been taking place the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm coming from a perspective, I, I'm in Slavic studies, but I study uh, Russian Orthodoxy. Um, and this is certainly, it was very exciting for me to see this edited volume because there's certainly so many conversations that I've, I just haven't seen, um, and especially all in one place on these topics. Um, but I was hoping um, uh, one or more of you could talk a little bit more about kind of what is the existing body of research um, in Orthodox Christianity on sexuality, both from kind of a theology perspective and a religious studies perspective. Well, I think there's um, there's uh, various uh, um, forms of literature, but but very limited. There's a, a certain amount of sort of apologetic or pastoral theology that is uh, aimed at trying to explain why we need to be. Um, conservative about sexuality in general so it's kind of a how to how to um, defend um, certain doctrines and then there's a certain amount of um, historical studies that studies uh, Russia or Byzantium or late antiquity and and the sort of the sexuality um, uh, or, or like aspects of of sexual uh, norms in certain like historical periods, or even empirically, sociologically, how um, things work in certain uh, areas of the world today. Uh, but I th- I think what we are what we are trying to do is is also then to to pull this into to a conversation that has uh, a broader theological uh, foundation. And that's really not something that, as far as I know, anyone has really done yet. I mean, it, it's, I think it's really the first book that tries to pull this into a more uh, coherent or sort of organized um, theological framework. Well, and certainly there are not everyone, um, I mean, it's not just a theological issue and not everyone in our volume uh, would identify as a theologian, but I think as Thomas rightly says, there's um, there's something that doesn't exist in literature as much, uh, at least that we've seen, and that is Orthodox Christians or people who identify as Orthodox Christians exploring these issues kind of constructively for themselves, drawing on their own resources uh, within their tradition and their own um, scholarly disciplines. So even though we have, um, you know, historically studies about sexuality and kind of late antiquity or the patristic period, we don't then necessarily have those same scholars talking about, okay, what do those sources mean for people who still value that historical tradition in their current present day religious practices and ways of thinking? And so I think that's something where we're kind of bridging uh, and emerging as something different, uh, trying to cover that gap a little bit of 
maybe this interdisciplinary but still orthodox studies uh, type volume that is very theologically minded, trying to address an issue and an area of concern for people's lives that's not necessarily well covered or well resourced in pastoral theology uh, and kind of what the church says. And we see all different types of responses uh, and very politicized too. Uh, we've seen that. I think uh, you you mentioned that in one of the, uh, the questions you sent us about kind of present day uh, Russian uh, discourse about sexuality and all sorts of violence and things. So uh, certainly it's a, it's a really polarizing issue in the um, traditional Orthodox world, but also among um, converts to Orthodox Christianity. And, you know, it can't be separated from its sociological and lived context. Um, but yet as Thomas um, and I point out in the introduction, it's not sexuality is not something new, even though the word some ways we understand it might be, it's not something that just uh, emerges in the contemporary period. Um. So I think you uh, kind of touched on this already, but um, in the introduction, um, you state that the book approaches sexual issues from a listening position. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about what that means and how the contributions reflect that? Thomas, do you well, want to take that one? Well, I think I think one of the, I mean, apart from, from the, the fact that this book is also uh, theoretically informed by um, by more um, recent theoretical work on sexuality, it's also a book that comes out of of conversations where um, we have been uh, a quite a large group of Orthodox people, both uh, theologians, other scholars, and even people who don't have any academic background. But who are um, who are uh, in some way or another engaged in questions of sexuality, or who have some kind of personal relationship to those questions, or who perhaps work uh, professionally with uh, questions of sexuality, so that that we have really um, attempted to to. Um, listen to various people, also priests who hear confessions and, and try to give people advice in their lives. And so, so the ambition has been to, to, first of all, listen and be part of a conversation, uh, hear how people are experiencing their um, uh, lives as sexual human beings, and and then, in, after that, try to uh, think about what this all means. Because there's a, a, you could say, kind of a tendency, especially among uh, theologians like myself, to to sort of be very eager to to uh, give answers uh, rather than just listen. So so it's been a um, it's been an important part of, of this whole process that's been going on for years to try to not just, uh, uh, you know, come up with answers before we've actually related to people's uh, everyday problems and lives. And I think that's really important, actually. I would just add that as part of that listening, it also included people that maybe 
due to their sexual identity, have been excluded from the Orthodox Church uh, and has tried to at least include them in the conversation uh, and hear their perspectives um, because we're trying to do something that, as Thomas said, is not just um, reactionary or apologetic or defending some sort of conservative position, but open up some new ways of thinking uh, and addressing issues and questions of sexuality, not just homosexuality either, but sexual diversity and what sexuality means in the Christian life uh, more broadly. So it's it was it's very important to see particularly those who have been excluded or marginalized as still part of the church, as people who are can be orthodox and can identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. So this is this is something that's not accepted at a lot of contexts or settings. They're seen as mutually exclusive, um, but we know that's not the case by listening and talking with people um, that these identities overlap and uh, the church has not sufficiently found a way or or well um, to address and relate and respond to them and to these questions. And we've, you know, we've heard stories, uh, many stories about people who have have physically been been uh, thrown out of their local church, for instance, because of their uh, sexual um, um, their their sexual relationships, and so so it's it's really this is something that's v- sort of uh, very uh, uh, sensitive topics and very hard for many people. So it, it's it's um, it's been very important for us to, to uh, based on some of these experiences that we n- know about, um, take this seriously, and, and s- because like the the church has not really has not really responded to such uh, issues in a in a um, in a um, decent way, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next question, this is a very broad one. I know this is difficult to answer concisely because I've tried. Um, but for those listeners who might not be very familiar with Orthodox theology um, or kind of how the Orthodox Church operates, uh, could you talk a little bit about some of the basic traditional teachings around sexuality and the human body um, and perhaps some of the ways they might be distinctive from uh, Western Catholic and Protestant teachings? Um, I could take a stab at that one. Um well, I think that's that's the thing that we're trying to actually um, discover, I think, in a, a much more rich and uh, nuanced way, to be honest with you, because um, I don't mean to uh, duck the question. Um, I think in, you know, there are a lot of, there are always a lot of theological trajectories within various religious traditions, uh, including Christianity. I mean, even you could say that the various Christian denominations have themselves different uh, theological trajectories, but even within those trajectories, like within Lutheranism, within um, Catholicism, within Orthodoxy. Um, And sometimes I think, depending on uh, the particular moment of time, uh, one way of thinking about um, Orthodoxy or any particular form of Christianity gets a little bit hardened um, and I think we're in a moment where some are projecting um, one particular strand 
of thinking within Orthodox Christianity. And that involves uh, multiple layers. And one of those layers, I think, has to do with not simply uh, how people think about sexuality in the body, um, but also uh, what, what can or can't be talked about within the tradition. Uh, and so we, the book itself, I think, not only excavates different trajectories, different resources, things that we haven't thought about. Um, it also, um, it, you know, it's also making a statement that this is something that uh, the tradition uh, allows us to to speak about, and we're still kind of a coherent tradition. I mean, just to give an example, I mean, this may be a little bit extreme to say, but it, you know, a tradition has to stand on something, and it's difficult for someone to say, again, this is a bit extreme, it's difficult for someone to say that um, they're a Christian and think that, you know, Jesus isn't very important. Um, so in terms of Orthodox Christianity, there's a lot of constituent, constitutive parts, and there are certain non-negotiable parts. Um, and I think that's really at the heart of the debate. Um, what is it that we should say? What is it that the tradition should say about sexuality in the body? Um, and especially in light of the Orthodox uh, notion that, that all Orthodox really accept is that the plan of creation was what uh, for what we call deification. I mean, how does that make a difference in terms of how we think about these things? Um, so, I, again, I, I think that this is, a, I, I guess, a basic way to answer your question is when it comes to issues of, of gender and sexuality and, and the body, I think we're living in a moment that certain questions are allowed to be asked that were never asked in the past and didn't even form a certain kind of frame. Of, uh, it wasn't even within the frame of, uh, 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 it wasn't even w uh, within the horizon of possibility, let's say. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, it's, we were somewhat uh, called to answer these kinds of questions in many ways, just like the first early uh, Christian followers were declaring uh, Jesus, the crucified one, to be the savior. Um, there were many who asked a lot of questions about that and didn't really wanted some answers. And so I think, we're, you know, there are certain kinds of questions that have been circulating over the past few hundred years and especially over the last few decades. And this book uh, is a way to go back into our tradition and see, like, uh, what's up? You know, how is it that we can respond to this, especially while remaining true to our core? So we definitely, I mean, one of the things I think the book does is, is it tries to get away from the idea of traditionalist or non-traditionalist or traditionalist or pro progressive. We're very much within the tradition. And we'll, even if people claim that we're not, um, we're trying to think in the tradition, we're trying to think within the tradition. I'm trying to think with the tradition, and um, in that sense, we're trying to provoke a conversation and maybe even say a few th affirmative things about uh, sexuality, the body, in light of our call to be deified. Mm -hmm. um, did anyone else uh, want to add anything to that one? I would just add, in case um, some of our listeners aren't familiar, I think Telly is using the way, the word tradition here in a very, um, maybe not exclusive, but definitely particular to Orthodox Christianity, that we see tradition as a living 
kind of um, something that's ongoing, not just a ref- reference to what we can find in the past and then re- re- replicating that past in some sort of present or an idealized future. That the, when we talk about kind of what is the Orthodox tradition, it's finding kind of the work of God in the church in time. And, you know, Atelier articulates that in a way that's very much centered on deification and our confession of who we believe Jesus Christ to be as fully divine and fully human. Um, and I think that centers most of the contributors probably in this book um, see that as a way of articulating and then navigating how do we use these sources that might be historical, theological, liturgical, scriptural? How do we use all this, the lives of saints, mystics, spiritual teachings? How do we use all these types of different sources, iconography uh, that we have from the, the past to now think about what that means? How do we understand God in the present and what God wants for us in the present, in the future, and for the church. So I think maybe something that distinguishes Orthodox Christianity from, let's say, um, maybe Protestant, or even in some ways, um, some understandings of Roman Catholicism would be this emphasis on not just, not only turning to the teachings of scripture, or not only, or not deferring completely to a type of um, kind of hierarchical interpretation of what sources say. There's some fluidity. There's um, a lot of breadth where we can see the diversity of our tradition, uh, the diversity of these sources of the past, um, and see God at work in kind of those historical places to inform how we might think about the present and the future. Um, something I've come across in, in my own research, this is uh, kind of historical Russian Orthodoxy, but even today, um, there's so much focus on kind of the pastoral aspect of this. Um, so when dealing with questions of sexuality, the body, marriage, all of these kinds of things, um, you, you, the, the theme comes up again and again that it's really something between the, the pastor and the and the uh, the person who um, is having the question or the issue. Yeah, there's yeah really rich tradition of um, spiritual direction, but but then again. Um, you know, there's some limitations because Orthodox Christianity uh, canonically only has a priesthood of male priests. Um, and so unlike, let's say, Roman Catholicism, our priests are allowed to be married. Um, and so perhaps they have a family life, but it's historically been a primarily heterosexual context. Um, so there's, and if we think about, even in an ideal way, the best priest trying to counsel um a, um, a parishioner or a spiritual father or maybe a spiritual mother, but not, you know, ordained, I guess, um, trying to counsel someone on these issues, their experience are sometimes limited, different, or in a monastic, and therefore, at least a theory, <laughs> a celibate context. And so it's, even though the pastoral gives us a lot of um individuality, right? That this can, this ideal teaching of the church can then be tailored down to something that's manageable and spiritually beneficial to an individual. There's also a a concerning power dynamic um, that's very much dependent on the person giving the counsel. What kind of authority do they have and what are their views on this? So I think it can both be a blessing and perhaps also a challenge um, to have that type of practice rich in our Orthodox heritage. And, and, and in, in relation to, to what Ashley is saying, uh, I mean, one of the um, 
challenges or, or ambitions for us with a book, I think, is to then to, to bring some of these conversations out in the open because it's really a conversation that has not happened um, openly hardly at all, but mostly in those kinds of one-to-one conversations, which which uh, are obviously very um, useful in, in certain senses, but then also th- there we need also to have a more sort of um, uh, overarching conversation in a in a broader theological or scholarly context where we could discuss the the principle of this in a, in a more nuanced sense so so I th- so so the book in a way is is a is a first attempt to to um, create an an open arena for this kind of conversation in the public space look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And I would say that, um, I I, I do think, like, I, I don't think anybody's under the illusion that, um, what's called church teaching. And I think the way the Orthodox articulate church teaching is, is also different from, especially the Roman Catholic sense in terms of an official magisterium. Um, and even, even various forms of Protestant denominations. I mean, recently now we're all hearing about the Southern Baptist convention now, an official convention, uh, trying to, um, decide or may or, or come to a decision of no longer allowing female pastors um so uh, you know we we our history is a little bit more complex in that regard and a lot of it has to do with the fact that um most of the orthodox church was under the ottoman empire after the after the byzantine empire collapsed for at least you know four to five hundred years uh, and also, much of the Orthodox world was under the commun- communists uh, for decades. So there's a the whole idea of what is teaching, um, and there isn't really no denying that. Obviously, for centuries, um, it was thought um, that certain certain ways of thinking about gender and human sexuality were somewhat reified within the broader church, uh, both in practice and and in thought. But um, I, I think there are people within the church now that aren't necessarily expecting uh, the institutional church to issue proclamations of change, but really wanting their communities to listen. Um, as 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 it says in the introduction, just to really, to really, to really listen to to hear different experiences, different ways of thinking, even articulate different. What they think are should be what they think should be different values. I mean, uh, I was recently reached out by someone who uh, basically said, you know, within their own Orthodox parish, they were told that um, because of their values that they don't belong within the Orthodox Church. And then this person switched to another parish, 
and you know basically i said that things got from from went from bad to worse and really looking for a community of of orthodox christians that uh, also somewhat you know but where where their values somewhat align with theirs and they don't realize or they don't they don't they're not made to feel that they're outside of the church and uh, and and of course i sent uh, there's many different kinds of resources i think our center is one this book is one there's a wonderful um organization called Axia, uh, a network of Orthodox women. And there's a St. Phoebe Center for um, the Ordination of Deaconesses and other other places where that kind of community, I think, exists. So I think one of the values of this book is that it just signals to people that there are people willing to listen and willing to uh, take a stand that this is a conversation that should and could be had. Um, so... And I hope it. I hope it accomplishes that. Um, so, um, to kind of uh, expand more on this question of the d- discussion around um, the diversity of human sexuality, um, how much diversity of thought is there among clergy and church leaders um, around this topic? That's difficult to gauge, and and maybe Ashley and Thomas can. Thomas might have a, a European or an international perspective. It's difficult. It's, it's difficult to gauge. Um, I think even uh, for clergy, I think there, there, there might be people who I, I know for a fact that there are priests who want to have a different stance. Um, but then it's difficult for them to navigate the, the various complexities of that. Uh, there are some parishes, as in the Catholic world. Roman Catholic world, there are some parishes that are just simply uh, sort of friendlier or more open, and, and people know where those parishes are. Um, I would say the general vibe, though, within the Orthodox world is to be on the more conservative side of the culture war. That's what I would say. Um, definitely institutionally, that's, those seem to see the messages, with the exception of, let's say, the Greek Orthodox diocese or um, the situation in Finland. Where the Orthodox is a is a small minority, but you know it's still a, a, a present one, and we have the for, the forward from the former Metropolitan of uh, Helsinki there. Um, so that's it's difficult to gauge. I think I think the vibe is a little bit more on the conservative side of the cultural wars, but I do think there are, are many who would like to see a different kind of conversation happen. Um, but it's difficult for them to navigate how how to move in that direction. Yeah, I would agree with Telly um, that there's, it's it's very hard to navigate, how to kind of assess that. Um, but I would think for at least at the parish level, for many priests, it's it's maybe a more immediate concern because they're they encounter people who disclose these things, talk about their maybe struggle or their identity, and they don't always have clear instructions on how to proceed. So. Um, or, you know, what kind of guidance to give. So it is kind of some churches are maybe more open, more accepting, some maybe the parish itself isn't, but the priest is. Um, there's, a, I think, a whole range of ways that this has been handled somewhat um, uh, pastorally, which can both, you know, allow for greater latitude, but then also can cause whole parishes or whole sections of, you know, the country or whole diocese uh, to be kind of closed off uh, and less accepting. 
So there's, um, I mean, I think among the laity, we see that also reflected that there's people are very personal. This is very personal. It's very sensitive. It's very close to their identities, their families, their, their friends themselves. Uh, and so there's just, it's very polarizing and there's, there is diversity around it, but perhaps it's not open, right? So there's not as much um, capacity within the Orthodox church, at least um, before these conversations in this book took place to really say, we reject the assertion that there's only one way to view sexuality within Orthodox Christianity. And I think one of the things this book does is takes a stand and says, look, Tradition doesn't have a uniform, singular view of addressing this. If anything, it has not addressed it at all or intentionally uh, in ways that we can just regurgitate in the present. Um, so there is still, I think, as Tally mentioned, there's room to develop new thinking around these issues and hopefully do so in a more uh, inclusive and compassionate way. And, and just to add to that, I mean, we have had a number of um, priests and other clergy who have um, in various ways uh, come to us and thanked us for this book because they have felt that it's been um, so important that finally someone is is speaking uh, publicly, publicly about some of these issues. So I think there's really a great number of, of uh, clergy who who feel that it's a challenge not to be able to speak publicly about these issues, but it, it's something that's so controversial that it's um, really hard for for people to to talk about. And uh, and we've had uh, uh, bishops' conferences in in the United States coming out with very conservative uh, um, statements. We've had some in Europe with less conservative statements, but there's also been other um, other uh, examples. But I think the 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 main problem for sexuality in the Orthodox world is that it's it's really a question that's been over-utilized uh, by uh, kind of a populist politics. It's, it's I mean, the, the, um, the, the, pr- the, the questions around pride parades and how, you know, these are uh, received is so... Um, it, it's so polarizing and it's such a symbolic thing that you don't really, for certain people, you don't really need, it, it doesn't really matter what you, what you believe regarding God or Christ or, or uh, the Theotokos or something like that. But, but whether you are f- for or against pride parades is, is the sort of the, the one question that really puts you on the right or the left side, or the the right or the wrong side, rather. So, so it's it's a question that's that's really been sort of hijacked by a certain um, politicizing uh, discourse, and that's not very helpful for all those people uh, who uh, include, uh, or all of us who who are somehow sexual human beings. 
Um, I, and I think um, we have an interview on this network with uh, Sarah Riccardi Swartz, who um, does some really fascinating research on how um, American converts to orthodoxy, um, this kind of conversion has been used more as a sort of um, signal of identity politics in this conservative direction. Um, so I'd like to go back for a minute to um, this really fascinating forward to the edited volume um, by the Metropolitan of Helsinki um, about the response to um, or the response of the Orthodox Church of Finland to the legalization of same-sex civil marriages. Uh, and he talks about how um, while the church couldn't celebrate the sacrament of marriage for same-sex couples, they do now offer um, something called the ceremony of house blessing, um, which is an example of kind of some possibility for flexibility in the church's relationship to sexual diversity. Um, so has there been much um, response to this but, uh, from other Orthodox churches? Um, are there any other um, Orthodox churches that have done anything similar? I think this is an example of um, one of those kind of pastoral accommodations of using, um, using a rite that's primarily about kind of blessing homes and including in which when a priest comes to bless somebody's house or a business, they also bless all the people and the family there as well. And so it's a blessing of that, that whole kind of little, that unit. And, um, and so it makes sense that you wouldn't, what you'd bless the space and not bless the people, right? This is kind of a way of extending that, but also using resources within the tradition to do something new. To my knowledge, it has not been like picked up and carried as a widespread kind of adaptation or accommodation of some sort of uh, way to bless same-sex couples. Um, but I think if anything, it showed that there's there's room and possibility and resources that it the conversation doesn't have to be exclusively about um, the sacrament of holy matrimony, which if we look historically at it, this is, you know, we have a few chapters in this volume on that, um, is somewhat limited in its own right. Uh, it focuses heavily on childbearing and, you know, reinforcing kind of a patriarchal view of marriage. So it, it may not be the best thing to kind of replicate, but having some sort of, whether it's this, or there was also mentioned in the foreword in one of the, the chapters, um, the historical right of brother making, which there's been a lot of um, scholarship on um, by Byzantinists and historians, but this isn't some sort of kind of, again, historical precedent necessarily for same-sex marriage, but it does show a need and a desire to bless a variety of relationships that maybe we're lacking in the contemporary age that we don't, you know, we focus on marriage, but maybe we don't have rituals of friendship making uh, liturgically anymore, or we don't have these things. So I'm not trying to in any way diminish um, same-sex couples uh, and say they're not uh, worthy of marriage or anything like that, but that we have not seen that conversation is still very much far behind within Orthodox circles, especially among um, clergy and hierarchs and such. Um, but there are other kind of avenues in the meantime that might be used um, pastorally uh, to help incorporate those couples into the life of the church and feel blessed and have the presence of Christ in their homes. But it, I imagine um, any time mean, we saw this, that there was a case in Greece not long ago of baptizing um, the children of a same-sex couple, and it got a lot of pushback in some of the media um, that this was somehow inappropriate, 
but you know, these again, there are children, they should be baptized. There's some of this people, people who are, who are not necessarily their marriages are not res- recognized within orthodoxy, whether they be same sex or uh, heterosexual couples are already in the church. And so some of what is happening is there's no kind of official policy. Um, and sometimes that results in controversy, but sometimes the controversy helps us think about why are we reacting that way? Right? Why is why is someone upset about that? What is the theology behind that? What the what should the proper uh, and most kind of christologically consistent theological response be um, instead? So um, yeah, I don't know how widespread the policies would be around the world. I don't think there's anything kind of formal other than a very a more conservative view about marriage. But there's certainly ways where it's been. Um, kind of economically accommodated and incorporated and through various other types of blessings. Um, and um, actually, could you mention uh, what you mean when you say economically? Oh, so within um, Orthodox kind of canon law, there's these two terms that we sometimes use about um, the strict sense of the rule or the strict sense of the teaching um, from the Orthodox canonical tradition, tradition of teachings, kind of rules or laws um, that govern um, religious and pastoral life. Uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, and m- most of this is mediated through pastoral counsel, through people talking with their priests or their bishops or some sort of spiritual advisor. And so there's this kind of rule. And then there's the economia, the the, um, I don't want to say the watering down, but the adaptation of that role to the particular spiritual circumstances of the individual. Uh, and so we see, I mean, that has its own kind of tradition within orthodoxy. And so um, I think these types of, there's no rule or set right for same-sex marriage within orthodoxy, but maybe there's ways of this kind of economic, this type of adaptation of existing teachings and theology um, that could be used to support the spiritual life of those types of um, families. Um, now, so this book has been out, I think, a little under a year. So I don't know how much of sense of this you have yet. Um, but to what extent have Orthodox clergy or laity engaged with it since its publication? Well, like I said, we, we've had a lot of, uh, or several, um, uh, priests who have contacted us and and. Uh, expressed great appreciation for for the publication. I've also received similar things from a lady who uh, have been very um, appreciative appreciative of the publication, and um, we've also made a kind of a popular guide, like a study guide, that's been a uh, published as a kind of a. Um, like an extra uh, little thing for for more popular use, and that's also been been spread, and people have been very um, um, happy about this. So, so there's there's been a lot of, uh, as I see it, at least, uh, surprisingly uh, much. Uh, positive feedback from from people from various parts of the world. I've also had um, responses from, or like 
private messages from people who are not so uh, thrilled uh, about the book. Um, so, so it, I mean, it is a very controversial thing, and s- certainly some people would like us not to have published this book at all. But, um, but I've found it extremely encouraging that so many priests and and also people who who uh, like gay people for instance who have been um very um um encouraging and thought that we that it, it was a very important volume so yeah i think it's difficult to i, I do think it's difficult to gauge again um, we i've also heard People engaging it and being, you know, very, very pleased. The study guide um, is not as well known, I think, yet. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it's appropriated. Um, there is one Orthodox priest who is uh, particularly active on this issue, and uh, when the study guide was sent to him, he basically said that it almost brought him to tears uh, because it. You know, it's a little, it is more accessible um, and obviously something much more more positive uh, than, than anything that's actually been talked about or received or so um, yeah it, it's again it's just difficult I, I mean I mean the short answer is this I mean for those priests um, clergy uh, you know pastoral ministers who are inclined uh one way or the other just to be open simply be open to a different kind of conversation or a different way of ministering um i think this book will be very much welcome for those who see it as part of a red line issue that ultimately is part of the culture wars and sort of uh the the orthodox identity lives or dies on a particular articulation on this issue then you know this book will uh, and the study guide itself will be um, criticized, uh, ignored, or you know, condemned. Um, so I think my last question we kind of um, mostly touched upon, but is there anything anyone would like to add kind of on the topic of where this conversation might go in coming years and how current events might influence it? I would just say that I think in terms of scholarship on gender and sexuality within Orthodox um, tradition and Orthodox Christian studies, this is maybe just um, one piece of what needs to be a much larger conversation. So um, it certainly is, even though it's, uh, you know, where we have kind of top tier scholars engaging with um, these very pressing issues, Orthodox scholars are still coming rather late uh, to the, the conversation of gender and uh, sexual diversity and its study in the academy. So I would, I would hope that um, it'll continue to spark not just the kind of pastoral conversations that we've uh, mentioned so far, but also greater engagement with these topics in the fields of theology and religious studies um, on um, Orthodox tradition. So uh, that's just one added thing. I very much agree with Ashley, and and I think one of the things that we experienced in these conversations in the Oslo Coalition, for instance, that we have all been uh, part of, is this sense among many scholars and and 
people who belong to the Orthodox Church is this sense that, wow, for once we can now speak openly about these issues that have been so little spoken about in in uh, you know past uh, centuries and and it seems to me that that we're only now beginning to speak about something that will in the um, in the coming decades become a, a large issue with a lot more conversation and much more openness because this is something that clearly many people feel the 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 need and and the they want to to really talk about and discuss so in that way it's it feels like we're in a really promising moment i i just i personally think just keeping the conversation going is itself progress um because there's so many who just want to stop it um and so if this book and just keep it going. Again, I'll reiterate, at least this is my own personal view, is that I'm under no illusion that any institutional church is going to uh, you know, issue some declaration of change, although there have been minor promising uh, articulations uh, from the Orthodox Church in Finland, but even from um, bishops, Orthodox bishops in Germany, uh, and I think that letter is referenced, I mean, it, in the book itself, uh, who issued a letter that was, was enormously pastoral and balanced. And um, so I, 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 I just hope it, 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 it uh, sort of, it, it allows people the courage to uh, move in that, in that kind of direction and even just to keep the conversation going, because I actually think people within the church, um, well, some, there's no question that some want institutional change. I think my own sense is that most just simply want to keep the conversation going. Um, and by keeping the conversation going, I think they'll feel part of the um, social and more importantly, liturgical life of the Orthodox Church. Um, so um, with that, uh, we're going to wrap up. So I have been speaking with Thomas Aronson, Ashley Purpura, and Aristotle Papanicolaou about their edited volume, Orthodox Tradition and Human Sexuality, available from Fordham Press. Uh, thank you all for doing this important work on this fascinating volume, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for, thank you for having, having us. us. Yes, thank you for having us.